1. Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we've got to make sure that we are sharing the gospel. Uh, so vital. Uh, and with that, just coming out of Resurrection Sunday, uh, all around the nation, all around the world, the gospel was preached. The gospel was preached. There were people this last week that heard for the first time that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. They heard for the first time why he is the one that is the Savior of the world, and that's because he is the only one that could be. Uh, he is the only one uh, who was able, he was sinless. He had no sin debt of his own. And he who is eternal died in our place so we would not have to bear that debt ourselves. But he didn't just die. Three days later, he rose again. And if he didn't rise again, he would just have been another man. But aren't you thankful that he, was, he is not? And he still lives. He lives and he continues to live and he will live forevermore. But with that, we see that people get saved. But that's not the end. It's just the beginning. The next few weeks, we're going to be in a series that I'm going to entitle Next Steps. Next Steps. And for some, maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor, I've, I've been saved for years. Let's see how we're doing on the next steps. Because just because we're saved and just because we're in church does not mean that we are following the next steps that God has for us. He didn't save us just so we would miss hell. If that was the whole purpose, then when we got saved, he would have just taken us on to heaven. Is that right? God is a common sense God, all right? Uh, we're not smarter than he is. And if that was the only purpose was for us to miss going to hell, then then when a person put their faith in Christ, then there would be no more purpose for their life. But he has a plan for our life. Amen. And with that plan, he wants us to follow it. How many of you are parents this morning? You have kids. Hopefully, you've got some plans for them. If you don't, you need to. You say, well, my kids are all grown. They're still your kids. And with those plans, you see things in their life that you know would benefit them. They don't always get it, though, do they? You know, that high schooler or that junior high student that is uh, hitting pre-algebra. They could care less about pre-algebra. How many of you are with them? All right. Uh, and and we, might, we might look at some of these things and see, well, you know what? Uh, this really doesn't matter. 
Big picture, it really matters. Why? Because if we are not teaching them to do their best in everything that they do, it is going to impact them the rest of their life. We've got to change that mentality of just existing. You know what? God doesn't want us just to exist. Sometimes we feel like we are just on that hamster wheel. You know what I'm talking about? You're looking for an exit, a way to get out of it. You're running and running and running and you don't see anything happening, or maybe you don't see sense that there is a purpose in it. Let me tell you, God's plan for your life has a purpose. Amen. It has a purpose. And if we feel like we are just on a hamster wheel, then we're missing something. And it's not God's fault. God has a plan for our life. And if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your personal Savior, who's here and says, Pastor, I'm saved this morning. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm a child of God. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. That gives us a purpose That gives us something worth getting up for in the morning. If there's no purpose, man, let's just stay in bed. But if there's a purpose, I've got a reason to live. And so with this, we're going to be looking at, at next steps. But salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is just the beginning. And so we're going to look at some next steps that God has for the believer after we're saved. What are some of the next steps? What are some of the things that he wants us to do and to be and to become? And so next steps. Father, I do pray that you'd bless this morning. Uh, may you give us uh, insight and wisdom into your, your word. And Lord, may we, we see that you have a purpose for us. Maybe we've lost We've lost focus of that. Maybe we have been so busy in life. Maybe the, the, just the situations of life have, have uh, uh, got our attention and we've lost sight for your purpose for our life. And so I pray that you'd help us uh, this morning, each and every one, those that have been saved for just uh, weeks, others who have been saved for decades, may you be glorified, please, for Christ's sake, amen. So salvation is just the beginning. He says in verse number 23 of our text this morning, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And so, uh, you know, we, we see here that uh, he has an expectation for us here. Now, next steps. Life is filled with next steps. It is filled with next steps, whether it's in education. It, there are next steps in career path. 
There are next steps when, when maybe in a business model, uh, next steps in a dating relationship, uh, next steps maybe in an investment por- portfolio. No matter where we're at in life, there are next steps of things that we need to do next. That means we're going somewhere. If there are no next steps, then everything's stagnant. Have you ever drank stagnant water? When I was a boy, my brother and I, we, uh, I remember before Pops and Ma got married, uh, we lived in, in the city, and I remember us taking off and uh, going, uh, just, just, just going everywhere, have no idea where all we would go. Uh, just little guys, I wasn't, I was probably, well, I wasn't eight yet because pops wasn't, uh, mom and dad weren't married yet. And so uh, just little guys and we would take off through the city and uh, the blocks and the stores and uh, we just, just fooled around all over the place. But I remember times where we would stop and they would have these mud puddles. And we were tough, so we were going to drink out of the mud puddles. But not just any mud puddle. It had to be one of the cool ones that had the little blue and swirls of everything in it. (laughs) That oil or gas or whatever chemical was in there. Uh, And I remember as a kid getting down on my stomach and putting my face right down in that water and drinking that water. And there was no satisfaction in the taste of the water, but it was just cool that I wasn't just drinking out of a faucet. I was, I was drinking out of a puddle. <laughs> Explains some things, doesn't it, Steph? She's back there shaking her head. And so, so with that, you know, nobody now, I, now I would not choose to go drink out of a puddle. I want something that's fresh. I want something that's clean. You know, in life, God has so much that's fresh for us. The Christian life is not a dead life. The Christian life is not designed to be some stagnant thing that we put on our schedule and that we just participate in because, you know, we're expected to do it. And uh, the Christian life is something that uh, we need to engage in. And, uh, and here we, we see that life is filled with next steps, but our faith should be filled with next steps as well. Uh, salvation is where it all begins. When you got saved, uh, that's when the that new life began. John chapter 3, we find the Lord. uh, He is witnessing to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he says, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. That's where it all starts. It starts with salvation. It starts with that new birth, being born again. And, And with that, for anybody that is saved, they have had to admit that they are a sinner. They had to believe that Jesus Christ... God's son uh, was the only one that could forgive and take away their sin. And then they needed to call upon him uh, to be uh, their savior. But people, we need a, a, a purpose to live. And the Lord made us that, that way. So salvation, though, is the first step. It's the first step. And putting our faith in him. But next, what's the next step? Go back to verse number 23 here of Hebrews 10. 
He said, let us hold fast the, what? What's, what's that word? Profession. Profession. And number one, I want you to see, what's the next step? Profession. Profession. You know what? The word profession is the word homologia, uh, and it means an open avowal of some belief or opinion. It is a confession of your faith. We are to hold fast the profession of our faith. We are to confess our faith. You know, uh, the profession is so very important. You need to tell somebody that you are a believer. Amen. You need to tell somebody that you are a believer. I got saved. I was uh, 14 years old and uh, went to public school. And, uh, and I, was, I was in the in crowd before I got saved. When I was a wrestler. I played baseball. Uh, and and when, when we would travel, the, t- the cheerleaders sat at my table. I was in that in crowd. I was in that in group. And when I got saved, uh, there, very quickly that, that crowd changed. I started telling people that I was a Christian. They would invite me uh, to go to a party and I would invite them to church. And all of a sudden, I went from being on the in crowd to the out crowd very quickly. You know, you don't have to give your friends up when you get saved. You stand for the Lord, they'll give you up. And it doesn't mean that you aren't being a friend to them, but there is a difference. Light and darkness, they do not go together. And, and as a believer, I, I started passing out tracts. Uh, our church during that time, they had some, some gospel tracts by a, a pastor at the time. His name was Jim Lyons. Uh, he was in Oklahoma, and he had these, these tracts, and on the bottom of the track, on the back, it said, this track was given by... And you could put your name on it. And I would take stacks of those tracks and I would take them to school with me. I would go down through the locker room and I'd put tracks inside the lockers. I would give them to my friends. I would invite them to church. You know, you have to confess that you're a Christian. You know what? You confessing and professing that you are a Christian, it will make you stand when you don't want to. He said, Pastor, why did, why did you do that? Because I didn't want to go back to who I was. And I knew if I told everybody that I was going to church and I was witnessing to them that I had to live a different life. I could not be the same. And, uh, and in our life, we have to have a profession. And he said, holding fast the profession of our faith. And uh, we need to make sure that that profession is there. Now, notice there, it says profession of, what's that next word? What is it? Our, all right, our. So the profession of our faith has to be personal. You're not professing mom's faith. You're not professing dad's faith. You're not professing grandma's faith or grandpa's faith or the pastor's faith. You are to profess your faith. Your faith. It has to be personal. That means that you have to grab onto it. Now, as a new believer, when a person gets saved, they don't know anything. 
At least I didn't. I still don't know much. But when it came to faith, I knew so very little. But I knew that I was saved. I knew that I had accepted Christ. I knew that I had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart, and I knew that that's what it took to go from being a, uh, a child of the devil to being a child of the king, a child of God. And, and with that, I had accepted him, and that was personal, but that was just that beginning. That salvation was just the beginning. But now there is a faith, and that faith needs to grow. That belief system, it needs to grow. And you and I need to be professing that faith that we have been given. Uh, you know what will happen if everybody here this morning started professing their faith to those that they come in contact with? We would have Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Yep, that's exactly what would happen. You know what, you say, well, well Pastor, everybody that, that I, that, uh, it's in my family or my friends, they're already here at church. God brings people across our path all the time. And as he brings people across our path, you know what, we need to profess our salvation. We need to profess our faith. We need to confess our faith, our faith to other people and tell them uh, that we're a Christian. Uh, and, and with that, our belief in Christ is not to be quiet. The word, the word profess here literally is a, it's a word that means to openly declare. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse 13, whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. What is he talking about? He's talking about their, their professed faith has been lived, it has been demonstrated, it has been acted out, and everybody can see it. The world should see your faith. Amen. That's the next step. The world should see our faith. The people that we come in contact with. You know, as a believer, we should be different. We should be different. I'm not talking about being weird. But we should be different. If a believer is living just like a person without Christ, then our faith has not made a difference. And we have got to allow our faith uh, to be personal. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Uh, Hebrews 3, 1, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Who is it that we're professing? We're not professing us. We're professing Christ. We are to be uh, uh, vowing. We are to be making known that we know who Christ is and that he is our Savior. Uh, Hebrews 4 uh, and uh, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without laboring. So holding fast, it means to stick to. It doesn't mean to veer from. Have you, ever, have you ever gone through one of those, just a kick in your life? Maybe it was a 
New Year's resolution of working out. And you went out and you bought all kinds of workout equipment. And then you never used it. And then you sold it at a garage sale for next to nothing. Maybe it was a diet. And it was just one of those kicks that you went through. But no real lasting change. Growing up, my mom, our family, we went through, and she's listening this morning, so I'll hear about it later. But she went through some kicks. Mom went through some kicks with food. You know what? If you're going to go through some kicks, leave the food alone, all right? <laughs> Just leave the food alone. But she went through some kicks, and uh, there was no sugar. Everything went honey. Now, I like honey but I don't want everything sweetened with honey. And so she went through this kick and everything had to be made with honey. They didn't have all the, uh, back then, they didn't have all these uh, substitutes that we have now. And so she had a kick on that. Then she had a kick on wheat bread. But I'm not talking about just any wheat bread. I'm talking about homemade wheat bread. I'm talking about homemade wheat bread where you can't slice it less than an inch and a half per slice. And each slice weighs about a half a pound. And then you put a little smear of PB&J on there and you've got this sandwich. It was terrible. Probably the worst kick that mom went through was a kick on oatmeal and Roger Whitaker. Anybody know who Roger Whitaker is? You of you old people, all right. <laughs> he was an old folk singer. And mom, for some reason, she got in a kick of listening to Roger Whitaker. And the only thing that she could make when she listened to Roger Whitaker was oatmeal. I can't eat oatmeal to this day unless it's in a form of a cookie. Uh, and so uh, oatmeal and Roger Whitaker. And these were just some kicks that mom went through. And, uh, and it impacted our family. It was uh, listening to Roger Whitaker sing every morning was, was traumatic. I, I, still, I still suffer a little bit of PTSD on that one. And, uh, but, but those were kicks. After my mom and dad got saved... their life completely changed. My granny would come and just about every weekend, she would spend Friday night to Sunday afternoon and then she would go home. And so she was with us all the time. Well, after we got saved, all of a sudden Sundays were taken up with church. And it wasn't long that granny stopped coming because she didn't want to go to church. But something else happened. She would come and stay on a Friday night and leave on a Saturday. But, but with that, there were some times where everything in our home changed. Everything changed. And Granny, one time, I remember her telling me, don't worry about this. This, this church thing is just a kick. Your mom and dad, they'll get over this. I'm so glad my mom and dad didn't get over it. You see, you know what happened? 
they held fast the profession of their faith. Moms, dads, you holding fast might determine whether your kids are in church in the next 10 years. You holding fast might determine whether or not your grandchildren will even know the gospel, whether or not they will hear the gospel and get saved. It is so important for us to hold fast the profession of our faith. We've got to grab a hold of it. Now, that's the next step. It's not something that you say, well, I'll get to that someday. No, from the time you get saved, you should grab a hold of your faith and you should say, listen, this is who I am. This is what I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he has a plan for my life. I'm going to follow what God says in his word to guide my life. And he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful. Aren't you glad he doesn't waver? How many of you sometimes you wake up and think, I don't feel like going to church. The rest of you are lying. There's some Sundays I don't feel like going to church. You say, well, pastor, why are you here? It's not because of a job, I'll tell you that. It's because he is faithful. He is faithful. And because he is faithful, I want to be faithful to him. Because of his faithfulness uh, to us, he has promised, he has given us his word. And, And with that, his faithfulness to us should cause us to desire to hold fast our faith, to hold fast the profession of our faith. That means that if we are gonna hold fast the profession of our faith, then we are still going to continue to tell people about our faith. It is not a one-time event. It is not just a a, a year or two after we get saved. It should continue. And you and I will be tempted to waver, and we will be tested, and we will be tried. Uh, But for the saved, uh, we need, what's the next step? A profession, the profession of our faith. Tell everybody you can about Christ. It'll help you live the way you're supposed to live. It'll, it'll help you not talk like the world talks. It'll help you not curse. Yeah. You know what? You, all of a sudden, you start telling people about Christ. You go to say something. Oh, no, they know I'm a Christian. I can't say that. They invite you to go somewhere. Uh, after I got saved, uh, one, of my, one of my friends that I went to school with, uh, his name was Jerry. And Jerry was, was a, a kid. We, we did everything together. And uh, one day, uh, Jerry walked up to me, and, he, uh, and this was when earrings were just really starting to get popular. And uh, he said, hey, he says, Carrie, I was looking for you. And, and he, he held out a, a little stud uh, to pierce an ear. And so yeah, I was short. I was Deb and I, when we first started dating, we were the same height. And so anyway, I was five foot tall, just a short little guy. And with that, Jerry was like six foot one, you know, in in the eighth grade. Uh, And so uh, I said, well, get down here. So he got down on his knees. I grabbed a hold of his ear. And this is just between classes. Grabbed onto his ear, squeezed it for a second, pushed that uh, stud right through, just sort of felt, felt the tissue tear, uh, put the, uh, uh, the back on it, got some blood on my hands, washed my hands, and we went to class. Well, after I got saved, 
Jerry invited me to go to a party, and I said, hey, Jerry, I'm a Christian. I don't go to those anymore. Jerry goes, you are? He says, I'm a Christian. And I said, you are? (laughs) He says, yeah, my dad is pastor, and he named a church. And I thought to myself, that's not the type of Christian I want to be. Jerry fit in with everybody. We need to hold fast our profession. Secondly, I want you to look at verse number 24. He said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, We have to have our profession, number one, but we also have to have participation, number two. Participation in what? Church. Amen. Amen. You can say amen, you're in church this morning. Participation. When you got saved, God was taking you from one group and he wants to place you in another. You were in one assembly, now he wants to add you to another assembly. The word church is the, is the Greek word. It comes, comes from two words, ek and lesia, ekklesia, and it literally means a called out assembly. And when, when you got saved, God wants, you, wants to take you from the world and he wants to make you a part of his church. He said, I will build my church. Amen. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, he started the church. And this this institution called the church is not a social institution. It is not a secular institution. The church is a spiritual, God-ordained institution. And with that, there's only three, uh, the church, the home, and government. Those are the only three ordained institutions. Uh, and with those, each have their place. And, uh, but with the, with the church, God wants us to be a part of that, that called out assembly. Now, the called out assembly is a called out assembly of saved, baptized believers. That's what the church is. It is a called out assembly of saved, baptized believers. You see, for us to be part of the church, then we have to be saved. Amen? But after salvation, not before salvation, after salvation, we are to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That is the first step of obedience. Acts 10, 48, and he commanded them to be baptized, every one in the name of the Lord. Uh, s- baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with obedience and identification. I take my wedding ring off, and when I take this ring off, it does not mean that I am single. This ring is simply an identifier for other people to know 
that I have a relationship, that I am married. And with that, I want everybody to know that I'm married. I am proud of that relationship. And I wear this to show others that I am married. Now, when I was in college, I had to take my ring off. I was a mechanic, and I take it off every day. And this is my second wedding ring because I lost the first one. I had snapped it to my, my, uh, my keys and uh, took off to go get parts and uh, lost it somewhere along the line. And uh, so I had to get another one. Uh, but, but what was it? There needed to be that identification. When you got saved, nobody can see that you have Christ in your heart. What is baptism? Baptism is that picture. It's an outward picture of an inward condition. Uh, you got saved because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, what does baptism represent? It means that we go down and we are buried in the likeness of his death. Or we, we are crucified in the likeness of death, buried in the likeness of that, and ro- raised again to walk in newness of life. The death, burial, resurrection. And, and when a person gets saved, they are to follow the Lord in baptism. It's expected. It's commanded. Uh, but with that, that, that salvation, that profession of faith, and then part of that profession is when you get baptized, you're professing, you're showing other people what you believe already. That's how you got saved. You, you accepted Christ. You got baptized to show that. But now we have to We have to participate in this institution called the church. This is what God's plan is uh, for us. Uh, When we look at the the word church in the Bible, it is never talking about a building. It's talking about the people. Now, I'm thankful that we have buildings. I'm thankful that we have a place that we can come in and we can uh, have a a comfortable place to uh, assemble. Uh, We have a place that we can gather and uh, keeps the the sun off the top of our head and the rain uh, from us as well. And what a blessing having air conditioning. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but, but But the Bible, when it's talking about the church, he's not talking about the buildings. He's talking about the people. And this group of the church, sometimes it references all believers. He references all believers sometimes in Scripture, and we see that when he's talking about it, he's talking about the church uh, and all believers. Uh, And I'll give you a couple verses here real quickly. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so he's referencing all believers. And, and with that, there are times where Christ is talking about all believers. Uh, Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have uh, the preeminence. And so with this, he's talking about all believers. But, but we do not find that all believers have ever assembled. That event has not taken place yet. And though God, who is Christ, who is outside time, he can see all believers and he can see them all assembled because he is not trapped in this, this continuum of time, 
but we are still in time. So then you look in Scripture, and you see that there are local assemblies of churches. So it's not, well, you know, I'm part of the church. Well, that church has not assembled. The word Catholic means universal. The universal church doctrine is a Catholic doctrine. It is not a Bible doctrine. And so, so here when we look at the local assemblies, Acts eleven twenty two, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. So we had a local assembly of believers, the church at Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. So another local assembly. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, so another uh, local church who was in Thessalonica, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the churches of Asia salute you, uh, and uh, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much. Uh, in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And so you have multiple churches that are uh, represented here. Uh, and then Colossians 4.15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. You go to Revelation 2 and 3, and again you see the seven local churches, the churches uh, in Asia Minor there. Uh, and so uh, what were those churches though? Those were independent local churches, assemblies of baptized believers who were gathering together for the purpose that God had started the church. So let's go back to our text. And that's in Hebrews again. And so with this, Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse 24, he said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So here we just see these, these believers. Now, how did they become a part of that local uh, body of believers? Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Uh, there was a them, uh, the believers that were already there. These new believers, they got saved, they got baptized, they were added to them. Uh, and with that, what do we find? We find the church of Jerusalem explodes. The church of Jerusalem uh, explodes in, uh, in number. It explodes in influence. And what does the devil do immediately? He brings great persecution. And from there, we find that that persecution caused the believers to be scattered abroad. And when they were scattered abroad, we see these believers now going everywhere preaching the gospel. You know what happened? The gospel just, it was distributed all over the world. Why? Because the believers were professing their faith. The persecution didn't stop it. They professed their faith. But then they still recognize that need for assembly. You need church. You need church. 
Church is a place of care. Church is a place of comfort. Church is a place of correction. Church, church is a place where when we can gather together and we not only have the, the, the opportunity to receive something, we also have the opportunity to give something. How many like it when there's care and compassion? You like that. That's a blessing. And when people walk through these doors, they should sense that. But the only way they will sense that is if those that are here will give that. Well, I wish somebody would care about me. You care about somebody else. And as you are caring about other people, do you know what? They will care about you. They will care because you took an interest in them and you cared about their situation and you cared about their burdens. And in doing so, now uh, they, there is a reciprocation. It's just natural. It's not something that has to be fabricated. Church should not be a place where we gather and it's we come in, sit down, find our spot, worship, walk back out, go our separate ways. There should be that, and I don't even like the word community because it has been abused so much. But there should be that community within the body of believers. There should be that care one for another. There should be that interaction. It's important. And God wants you to be a part of it. He says, not forsakingly, uh, he says before that, verse 24, he said, let us consider one another. So in this assembly, he's talking about the church and he's telling the believers, consider one another and provoke unto love and the good works. That means that the people around you should be encouraged to be more loving and doing more good works because you impacted them in the body. Amen. We should be provoking one another. You know what? When I think about that word provoke, I, I think of the, the negative side of provoking or just the fun side of provoking, one of the two. I like, I like to provoke. Deb was uh, practicing for her speci the special, uh, and she sang that during the revival. And so I was back in the PA booth, and Austin was running the slide, or was back there with me, and they were practicing up here, and there was Christy and Bethany and then Deb and then Stephen. I told, I told uh, uh, Austin, I said, hey, run to the bathroom back here real quick and get me one of the, the stools. So he comes, he takes off, comes back in. I grab the stool from him and I start to come forward from the PA booth and Deb looked at me. She knew exactly where I was going. She says, <laughs> uh, she's like, don't you dare uh, bring that up there. That provoking, that teasing. God says we should be provoking to love and the good works. Love <laughs> Yep, she wouldn't, she wouldn't stand up here on the stool singing, yeah. Uh, but uh, provoking the love and good works. Do we, do we bring the best out of people? Or do we just bring the worst out? 
You know, some, we got we to lose this chip off of our shoulder. We've, we've got to get, we've got to get past ourselves. People need Christ. If they walk in and they just have grumpy people, why would they want to be here? I mean, they would just be thinking, if this is what Jesus has done for you, then why would I want it? Why would I want him? Christian, whatever it is that's eating at you, let it go. Let it go. Well, that person hasn't asked for forgiveness. Maybe they just don't know that you're offended. And maybe they know you're offended and they have apologized and you just haven't let it go. Regardless what the situation is, we are to gather, we are to participate in this thing called church. And the participation is that we are edifying one another. That word edify means to build up. He said, he said that we are to provoke with love, unto love and to good works. Then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means that, that that word forsake, it is not just a word that means I missed. Missed and forsaken, those are two different complete meanings. How the Lord looks at us, our missing church, is different than how we look at missing church. The Lord looks at it as forsaking. Not forsaking. That is a choice to abandon. A choice to abandon the assembling of ourselves together. And then he points them out as the manner of some is. That's the group I don't want to be a part of. Amen. Don't get quiet. And then he puts a little colon right there. That colon there is telling us that he is going to explain again what has already been stated. He is going to reiterate. He is going to add information about it. And he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see the day of Christ's return approaching. As we see the day of judgment coming. So much the more. We are to assemble. So, so next week we're going to start church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Some of you say amen and there'd be, there'd be three of us there or four of us there because Mrs. Brown wouldn't even be there. And so... And with that, though, and so much the more, God is saying that as the day gets closer, we need each other 
more than we ever have needed. And let me tell you, we are closer today than to the Lord's return than ever before. And, and the, so much the more, uh, we, we need to realize that uh, we are to assemble. The church is to be a place. The body of believers is to assemble to be a place of love, to be a place of good works. It's to be a place of growth, personal growth and provoking growth. It's to be a place of exhortation and exhorting one another. Uh, and that uh, exhortation, the word uh, that uh, uh, exhortation, uh, it is to earnestly support and to encourage a reaction. To earnestly support and to encourage a reaction. Do you know why we have invitations in church? There are a lot of churches that have dropped them. You know why? Because it's just informational now. There's no expectation of response. Exhortation literally means that there is to be that teaching, that, that preaching, that, that uh, giving of information and truth. But now it is, to, it is to draw a response. You have to be able to do something with it. And when there is preaching and there is no response, then there is, there is just information. And information isn't what God has given us uh, the, the job to do. The preacher, uh, he isn't just to be a teacher. The Bible tells us that in the latter times that people will turn from the faith, uh, desiring teachers, having itching ears. They're just, they just want information. Just give me the information and let me live how I want to live. Let me tell you, as a preacher, I'm supposed to preach what truth is. This is the way, walk ye in it. What is there? There's an expectation that we will do something with that truth. And so the church, what are some next steps after salvation? Man, I've got a, my profession. I've got to profess that I'm a child of God. I've got to profess who my Savior is to those that are around me. But then I need to participate. I need to be engaged and involved in the church. This, this place called the church, it is the place of that local assembly of baptized believers. It is the place of comfort, care, community, but it is also a place of accountability. Accountability. I'll put that there so you feel better. I'm done. Almost. Why is it that people don't want to join a church? Accountability. Christ is the head of the church. And every church does have a pastor, elder, bishop. That's the terms that God uses. But in God's structure of the church, there is an accountability and it is something that we all need. And that accountability doesn't just go from this way that way. It also comes both ways. It's two-way. 
we are to be accountable. Accountability helps us be who we are supposed to be. Accountability, we should embrace it because with it, there will sometimes be that correction that's needed. Have you ever told your child to tell a sibling, tell them you're sorry? Sorry! There was, there was no forgiveness. There was no repentance. In a church, there is accountability. And when there is wrong, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to make sure that we are not letting things slide to where the devil's going to get victory in somebody's life. But when we are not present and we are not participating, we have not built any relationships where there could be that accountability. Are you saved this morning? Have you followed the Lord and believers' baptism after salvation? If you haven't, that's, that's the next step. But professing, we walk out these doors, grab some gospel tracts, and hand out a gospel tract to somebody. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Just give them a track. Hey, let me invite you to church. Leave a track on your table when you go out to eat. Start working at this thing of professing our faith. But then let's start participating in this organization called the church. It's not a spectator sport. We are to be engaged in the church. That's a next step. I'm here today as your pastor because my mom and dad grabbed a hold of this thing called faith. I wonder how many others would be in ministry, how many missionaries would be on the foreign field, how many people would be reached, how many churches would be started if God's people would grab a hold of our profession and participation. We could change the world. We can't change the past, but we can go from right here. Where are you at right now? Well, I'm saved, but I sort of fell back on some of these other things. Let's get back at it. Profession, participation. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. You know the needs of each heart. You know each person and the struggles and the burdens that they face. You know their uh, stage of growth and where they're at. And I do pray that the Spirit of God would help all of us to be what we need to be. Help us. Help me to be uh, the Christian that I need to be. And may all of us have that desire. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I don't have that assurance, that confidence. I'm concerned about it. Pray for me, Pastor. 
I won't come back to you. I won't embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm unsure of my eternal destiny. Just slip your hand up right where you're at. Pray for me. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm unsure of my eternal destiny. Unsure. All right. How about it, child of God? Say, Pastor, the Lord spoke to my heart. He put his finger on something in my life this morning. Pray for me. Help me to do what God has, is leading me to do. Nobody's looking around. Just slip your hand up. Praise the Lord. My hand's up. Studying this out and the things that the Lord works on. I want to be who the Lord wants me to be. Uh, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord put his finger on something in my life this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, Father, you see the hands. You know the needs. I do pray that you would help us uh, to be the church that you'd want us to be. Help us to be the Christian that you would want us to be. So lead us and guide us, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As the instruments play, uh, play this morning, you respond as the Lord.